0: Up to and now on. You know why a lot of people don't believe in eternal security is because they believe you're saved up to a certain point. And you and I that believe in eternal security, we believe in now on. Up to and now on. See, many people believe that when you trust Christ as your Savior, He has paid for your sins up to that day. But you and I that trust Christ as our Savior, we believe that we're saved because of up to, and now on, that he made a payment up to the day we trust the Lord, and now on. And the reason for that is because I believe the scriptures are actually teaching exactly what I just told you. Now remember, Hebrews is written to Hebrews. A Hebrew was a Jewish person, people of the nation of Israel. These were the law keepers, but they had already been in the law as a nation for 1,500 years and never kept it. So why do they have to keep the law now? Well, they didn't. He says, why put a yoke of iron upon their neck, which we nor our fathers were able to bear? That's in the book of Acts in chapter 15. So he says in verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So the real reason of all of this is um, God had a way of making you and I perfect. And he says the law can't do it. Now see, like if I had this glass sitting right here, now there is, because of those spotlights, there's a shadow of the glass coming right down here across my Bible. Now the shadow is not the real thing. But he says here, the law having a shadow of good things to come But it's not the very image exactly of that which is coming. It's only a a shadow. But the real thing is coming, and that was Christ. So um, God says, "I, I have a new and living way, something that will really work. But see, God has to show you and I that we cannot deliver ourselves, that we cannot save ourselves by any good deeds that we do. So that's why the law was given to show us that it is impossible for a man to save himself. And he makes the statement here, and can never, and you ought to underline that word never, never would those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. See, every year, now look over here. See over here, this is the holy of holies. Now I'm standing in the holy place, and over there is the outer court. And in the holy place where they have the table of showbread and also the candlestick, well, there's a big old veil here, great big dark veil. And the only one that has a right to go into that room where the Ark of the Covenant is and where the cherubim supposed to be on the both sides of it and their wings come together and they touch and so forth. And inside of that Ark was the, the Ten Commandments and the rod that budded and so forth. Once a year, the high priest of the nation from the tribe of uh, Levi and of the line of Aaron, he would go into that holy of holies. And some say, I don't know, they, some say they tie a rope around this guy so that when he goes in there, if God doesn't accept the sacrifice that he makes, well, he gets strike dead. He, he dies. So they got to pull him out. But they ain't going in. So they would pull the guy out of there. So the guy that goes in there, he has to offer sacrifice for the sins for himself and also for the sins of the nation once a year. And that's what he had to do. So it was to not pay for sins. It was to cover the sins for that year. But it was only a type of a sacrifice that would be made years later by Christ himself. So he didn't go in there boldly. He didn't go in with great confidence. He says it doesn't make the comers there unto perfect. What will make us perfect? Now see, there's those that even today that believe that you're saved up to that day you trust the Lord. And God forgives you for everything that's past. But now, uh, these things that you do after that can still send you to hell. Theirs doesn't make them perfect. If whatever they believe doesn't make them perfect, then they're not going to heaven. It is not sufficient. So what we need is something that can make us perfect. I hope you understand that. Now look in verse 2. For then, if it made them perfect, for then, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if the sacrifices that was made made you perfect, well then the sacrifices would have ceased. You don't need them anymore. Why? Because I'm perfect. And if I'm perfect, I don't need no more sacrifice. I don't need another offering for my sins. See, there's a question mark at this end of this verse. So it doesn't make you perfect, because if it did then I wouldn't have to keep doing this sacrifice year after year. Now see, that is exactly the same thing that is done in many churches, is that they believe you're saved up to this point, and then the next time you sin, you've got to get forgiveness for that. Because now you get covered as long as you keep getting forgiveness, and you keep on going and keep on going then that means that what they're saying is that they're not perfect now, and nor are they ready to go to heaven. God can't take them to heaven yet. And that's why when you ask them, do you know for certain that you're going to make it to heaven? Well, they can't say for certain because they don't know if they're going to do something in the future that's going to keep them from getting there. See, God explains all these things in the Bible. Nothing's new under the sun. That is a religion. But it's not what God said. It's not what he taught. So then he makes a statement there in verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? because that the worshiper once purged, made perfect, should have had no more conscience of sin. In other words, I should not no longer feel guilty, and I shouldn't be under a burden of, uh, what am I going to do about my sins? Because they're all paid. So we believe that up to and now on. Now on is the words where you get forever. Now on, forever. And there is a, a lot of difference in believing that I'm saved up to this point and believing that I am saved forever. So we have something that's better. The message is not just, well, we're all believing the same thing, we just do it different. No, 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 no. We're not believing the same thing. And the preachers are not all exactly alike. No, that's not true. So then he says in verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. In other words, they've got to do it every year. Because the sacrifice that was made was a yearly thing. But he says there's something better coming. Now, look at this. Look in verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It didn't do it in the Old Testament, it doesn't do it in the New Testament. And if a man had to keep the law and make these sacrifices to be saved, well, there's no temple, there is no ark of the covenant, there's no veil. So how in the world are they going to make these sacrifices if they had to do it today? They haven't had it for 2,000 years. So then nobody can go to heaven anyway because there's no way. The temple has been destroyed. There's no veil. There's no Ark of the Covenant. There's no sacrifices. And we don't even know who the high priests are to make them. Now look what he says in verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, I wonder who we're talking about. This is talking about when Jesus came into the world. It makes a statement, and quote in quoting an Old Testament scripture, Sacrifice and offering thou would have not, but a body hast thou prepared me. So Jesus didn't come here to offer sacrifices of bulls and goats and so forth. He came to be a sacrifice. You remember in the story with Abraham and his son that he was going to offer up on the altar? And it says, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. It doesn't mean that God's going to get him a lamb. No, God will provide himself a lamb. See the difference? He will be the lamb. That's when John the Baptist saw him, he says, behold the lamb of God. So God was coming into the world. And he says, a body hast thou prepared me. So me existed before of a body. Christ existed before. He didn't begin in the womb of Mary. That was the preparation for a body, for the Son of God to live in. He said, the body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, thou would have had no pleasure. In other words, God would not have any pleasure in any of the sacrifices, the offerings that Christ could have made, because he didn't, have any satisfaction in the Old Testament on any of the sacrifices that were made. But he says here in verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. From the first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis, all the way through, throughout the whole volume of the word of God, it was written. He's coming. He come for one reason, to do the will of God. And that's why he made the statement. He said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And whenever the Father looked over the banister of heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, it says that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Because God knew this lamb was going to be the sacrifice and God was pleased with this sacrifice. And the sacrifice could not have any spot or blemishes. Christ had to live his life perfectly without sin. No tarnish, no guilt, nothing that he could do that was wrong. He had to be the perfect son of God. Because if he had committed one sin, then he would have had to die for his own sin. And therefore he could not have been a payment for our sins. So Christ had to please the Lord by keeping the law so that the law could not condemn him. So therefore the law could not condemn him he didn't have to die. But when he took upon himself our sins, then the law condemned sin, because it was in him. And he became sin for us. Now he knew no sin, but he became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In verse 8, above when he said, sacrifice and offerings, and burn offerings, and offering for sin, thou wouldst not, neither hath pleasure therein, which are offered by the Law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. A different way. Since a man cannot earn his way to heaven, there has to be another way to heaven. Because the other way, by the works of man, it is impossible. There has to be another way or no man gets to heaven. So the way is faith in Christ. Now you can tell a person, you want to go to heaven, just keep the law. Remember Christ told that to a man one day. He says, what must I do, good master, that I may inherit eternal life? He says, keep the law. Keep the law. Oh, I've done all of this from my youth up. He says, then great. Sell everything that you have and follow me. And he had great possessions, so he had great sorrow. And he went away. You see, in the list of those things that uh, Christ had told him to do, he didn't mention thou shalt not covet. But later on it showed that God simply, Christ used the law to show the man that he had not yet kept the law. So Christ used the law to show a man that he could not save himself by his works. Because the law cannot make the comers thereunto perfect. Can't make you perfect. Uh, Hold your place right here, but let's look over there at this one verse. It's just a good verse. Look there in chapter 7 of Hebrews. And look in verse 11, where it makes the statement in verse 11 of chapter 7, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? If the law made you perfect, then you don't need anything else done. You'd be perfect. But since it can't, now look down there in uh, verse 19. Verse 19 says, For the law made nothing what? Perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. By the, by the which will we draw nigh unto God. So there is another way that can make a person perfect. And see, there'll be a multitude of churches throughout our land that are teaching people that to go to heaven, they have to live right, and do right, and keep the Ten Commandments. And if they don't, they go to hell. All of that is the same teaching, exactly, identical, with trying to keep the law to go to heaven. And it doesn't work. You say, well, they're saved. No, they're not. No, no, they're not. Not according to the Bible. Either the Bible is true, or it's just a piece of junk, take the thing, throw it in the trash, or what God says is true, and people are lost, and they're blind. Look in verse 16 of the same chapter, chapter 7, who is made not after the law, talking about Christ, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. In other words, the law cannot give you life. Life must come from life. That means life must come from a person. Everything living has to come from something living. So you can't get life from a law. The law killeth. The Spirit giveth life because the Spirit is life. He lives forever so He has endless life so He can give you that which He has. Endless life. We came from our parents and they gave us temporary life because we got an old sinful nature from them. But we got it from life. All life comes from life and exists on previous life. That's the law of biogenesis from the very beginning. Now look there in Hebrews in chapter 10. So now there in verse 10. Now get verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified... Now what does the word sanctified mean? comes from a Greek word, hagiazo, meaning to be made pure and holy and set apart. Like we get the word sanctuary, sanctified, things that are holy, dedicated to God, and that's why we're supposed to live a sanctified life, because our bodies are supposed to be sanctified, given to God, and everything we have is to be given to God. And he makes the statement here in this verse, by the which we are sanctified, made pure and holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and now on. Once for all. This has to be different than what he was saying in the first couple of verses about a year after year after year, and continually keep doing this. So if something's different, it can't be that. It has to be different. So, what they had to do all the time, there has to be something that you only have to do once, and it works forever. Or it's the same thing. If people can understand what the Bible is saying here. In verse 11, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can, and there's that word, never take away sins. So was anybody in the Old Testament ever saved because they kept the law? No. Nobody. In verse 12, but this man, talk about Christ. So it has to be different, and things that are different are not the same. But this man, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice from now on, forever. Forever sat down on the right hand of the God. Why did he sit down? Because as priests, they stand all the time offering these sacrifices. If God's telling us something here, he said something's different than that. In verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, for sins, forever. That means don't have to do it again. Don't have to do it next year or the next year or the next year. And you don't have to keep coming and claiming on that, that same sacrifice over and over again. Because if this one is different, then this one must make you perfect. Or it did nothing for you. If you were not made perfect when you trusted Christ as your Savior, it did absolutely nothing for you. It meant nothing to you. It is nothing. But that's your new birth. God made you perfect in Him. Because He is perfect, you're placed in Him. You have perfection. Now, verse 13, from henceforth, henceforth, now on, now on. See, I not make this up. This is in the Bible. This is book. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, means that he sat down and he, he don't have to get back up to make another s- sacrifice. It's over. It's done. See up there in verse 17? And their sins and iniquities will I remember, what? No more because their sins are forgiven now where remission of these is there is no more offering for sin don't have to make another one you remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross the Bible says the earth shook and God turned out the lights of heaven and the veil in the temple was rent from bottom to top or top to bottom shows that man didn't rip it but that God ripped the veil it means that everybody has now access into the very holy of holies, into the presence of the Lord because of the body of Jesus Christ. Because his body was a type of that veil that was torn for us. That's what it all means. His body was the veil for you and I to enter into the very presence of God. So we have access unto the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. So we don't have to be timid and shy like that high priest wondering if he's going to be struck dead. And now not have to worry about it anymore. We have come, And we can say boldly, I know I have eternal life. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See, what I'm telling you is what this book says. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his what? His flesh, his body. A body hast thou prepared me. Chapter 9, verse 23. Old Testament tabernacle that they built, the temple later, was built on the order of one that was seen in heaven. See, in verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figure of the truth, but in the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he is our high priest. And we have a high priest that has an endless life and he is able to make the comers thereunto perfect, so that we don't have to have another sacrifice. And so after Christ made a payment for all the sins, once and for all, came back from the dead, there can never be another one. So you and I don't have to be saved today, and lose it tomorrow, and get saved the next day, and lose it the next day, and get saved the next day. That would be if Christ did not pay for all of our sins. But he did. You say, well, why then do we have to confess our sins to God? That's not for salvation. That's fellowship. That's 1 John 1 9 for believers. While we're still here, we should confess our sins to God. But if you'd never confess any of your sins to God after you trust Christ as Savior, you still go to heaven because the penalty for your sins has been paid and forgiven and cast into the depths of the sea and never to be remembered again. But your personal walk with God. You want to keep things clean between you and God. And God said, he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. Because he said, because of the blood of Jesus Christ in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1. But it's never for your salvation because you never lost it. You don't have to get saved again and again and again and again and again. And people could only see this. And yet it's so clear in God's word. Now I'll go back there into verse 14. He says, for by one offering he hath, that's past tense. Perfected, he hath perfected forever. Who? Them that are sanctified. Is that what it said? And yet there's people who cannot believe this. I told a man one day standing right out here. I says, "You don't believe the Bible?" Oh yes, I do believe the Bible. I says, "Sir, you don't believe the Bible." because he believes you can be saved today and lost. tomorrow, You don't understand what the Bible's teaching. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand John 3.16. You don't even know what Ephesians 2.8 and 9 is talking about. You are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what kind of life? Everlasting life. You don't believe that. You believe it's temporary. Either God means what he says or he doesn't. Right, look now in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his body, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, which is what we have, interceding therefore us in heaven, as it says in chapter 9, look in verse 20, Let us, because we're his children, we believe this, we've been made pure and holy, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. You ought to underline those words, full assurance of faith. You ought never to question, never to doubt where you're going to spend eternity. If you do, it's because you don't believe God meant what he said. And that's why he says in 1 John chapter 5, he says you call God a liar. You don't believe him. You doubt let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Because our faith without wavering is based upon his promise that he cannot lie. That's why in the Old Testament, when that priest died, well, then the next priest had to take over. And when that priest died, the next priest took over. When that priest died, the next priest took over. Well, they don't. Well, he's the last one. There, nobody can take his job. He is our forever high priest. So he says here in verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So what does God want us to do? Because Provoke people to do what's right. Provoke them to do good work. Not to provoke people to anger, but to provoke people, trying to challenge people, motivate people, exhort people to serve the Lord. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. In verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Those that sin willfully after you've received Christ's sake. This is not written to the lost man. This is all to the Christian. You see, after you know the Lord and you have eternal life, can you still sin willfully after you trust the Lord? Yes. Well, is there going to be any more sacrifice for sin? It says there's no more sacrifice for sin. Christ ain't going to make another one, because the one he made was sufficient. But what can you look forward to? The chastening hand of God. You see, there in verse thirty, for we know him that hath said, "Vengeance belongeth unto me; I will recompense," saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge what his people. And then he says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Once you're his child, you're his child. And that's why now this is leading up to chapter 11 about what does it mean to live by faith. And chapter 12 is the consequences if you don't live by faith. Because chapter 12 deals with the chastening hand of God upon his children. And so, you, can you live like you please and get away with it? No, no. Can you try? Yes. Can you get away with it? No. God gone chasing? Yes. You see, it's it's easy once you understand the principle of life.